Hello and welcome to Cladding Matters, the podcast where we discuss building safety, legislation and solutions that focus on cladding remediation while showcasing the intelligent FS culture of humility, wit and passion for continuous improvement that makes Britain's buildings safe and sustainable. On the show today, we have our very own company founders, Adam and Rob, two construction industry experts discussing how they decided to come together to make something great. Their vision, the journey so far, and how they have stayed true to their principles and beliefs. But before we get started, if you haven't already got your copy of our Golden Thread Analysis Checklist, your guide to being compliant to the BSA Golden Thread, visit our website at intelligent-fs.com to get yours. And do please contact us if you would like to be a guest on this show, because together we can make Britain's building safe and sustainable. Now, let's hear from our guests. Rob Williams, owner, founder and executive director of operations, and Adam Gallagher, owner, founder and executive director of commercial and finance. Can you please tell us a little about your background and how you got started in the construction industry? Hi everyone, and thanks Richard for inviting us on the show this morning, the inaugural show uh, for Intelligence FS, and hopefully there'll be many more. Um, I've been in the construction industry 55 years now, started out as an apprentice bricklayer, moved through the ranks into senior management, directorships, and finally co-ownership of Intelligence FS with Adam. My turn. Uh, Hello everybody. Thanks Richard for the introduction. my journey started a little bit different from Rob's in that I was at um, an advertise started off with YTS uh, in Liverpool. Then I worked my way up into being a postboy uh, at an advertising company and an accounts clerk. Uh, done AAT, then SEMA. Um, got into construction via being made redundant from a bus company. Um, and then got a job with Alfred McAlpine with Rob, who's my boss. Still is my boss, really. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> Still is my boss. And um, then uh, we worked at Rob for a year or so. We kept in touch. And then uh, in the meantime, I done an MBA at Manchester Business School. And then uh, Rob and I come back together again uh, after I got about eight years or so in, in construction. And Rob's got about the, the forty, as he said. So a little known fact that people probably don't know is whenever you greet each other, you both greet each other as boss. How did, how did, that, how did that come about? How did that happen? I, I think that's a sign of mutual respect yeah. and the fact that we both understand the value that we bring to this co-ownership. Um, and it helps us remember where our expertise lie. And because we divided the company quite conveniently between operations and commercial, we haven't found ourselves treading on each other's toes. No. We've had a very clear brief to help manage, control, and develop the business, and it's worked very successfully. So it's mutual. Yeah. It did start as a bit of a joke because I think a couple of clients in the past have said, "So who's the boss?" And we both said, "Well, he's yeah. the boss at the same time." <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah I, I think it's great. I really, I really, it's really a pretty like relaxed it. Yeah, yeah. sort yeah. of situation. So. How did the whole conversation come about to start Intelligent FS? What what, what made you do that? <laughs> well, uh, um, it was about nine years ago. We were, uh, there was about, I think, eight people. Mm-hmm. I think there was Rob and two guys from his side, myself and about four or five guys from my side. Yeah. We started part-time. Um, 
and we won't work through people knowing that we can do a good job for them. Yeah. So what we said we could do, we did. And um, people wanted us, wanted to work with Rob and I and, and the team. But um, we, we, we started off as a MI company at first. Uh, and then our expertise come about whereby we moved into doing construction, civils work, construction works, refurbishments, fit outs, um, any type of general building fabric work really. And um, that that started out with, with about eight or so of us, as I say. But when it comes to crunch and a decision had to be made mm. on going full-time properly, well, people then fell away by the wayside and it ends up being Rob and myself taking it forward. Yeah, there's an interesting slant to this story as well because I'd actually taken early retirement <laughs> right. and um, just bought my new motorbike, bought a new car, and I'd just come back from Europe after three months motorcycling. <clears throat> and the phone went and Adam said, I've got an idea. And I thought, aye, aye, what, you know. <laughs> so we had a meet. Adam had this great business plan. And I think we both agreed it had legs. Mm. We really firmly believed that the ideas had legs. We both believed in each other. We both trusted each other, which has been the mainstay of the last eight years of the business, really. That total 100% trust. Um, so we got together. That was in the October of 15. Yeah. And in the January 16, we kicked off the business. Fantastic. And, and along that journey, it's been a while and there's been quite a lot of changes. Can you share some of the challenges that, the, that you faced um, with starting the business and keeping the business going along on that journey? I, I, think, I think it's probably been similar to a lot of challenges people face in starting a business. So you've got cash flow challenges. You've got to negotiate time to get paid quick. You've got challenges of staff. Um, you've got challenges of winning work. You've got challenges of doing the job as well. So running your own business, you've always you're always going to have challenges to do different things. It's not you know as mm. secure or as regular or as um, precise as being uh, employed. You've got to come up with the ideas. You've got to come up with the plan. You've got to come up with the the resources to to deliver, and then the book stops with you. So the challenge is, it's it's sink or swim. That's the big challenge. Yes. Yeah. And so when you're going through all of that, how do you make sure that you just you stay on track kind of from a beliefs point of view, from a sort of a morals, you know, that's been, you know, I know. So, for instance, you know, health and safety is drummed into us all the way through mm -hmm. the business. Yeah. You know, that's that's at the forefront of everything. Um, our approach. You, you know, how do you how do you keep that the same I, and solid and, and true? You know, yeah, I, I think a good starting point on that is that when we first got together to start the business, we set out the values and they were very stringent, um, both financially, operationally and safety culture to, um, in the business. And at times that's been a challenge because there's certain things we could have got involved in, but our values stopped us from doing that. And we've stuck to those values even today. And you're right health and safety is driven through this business and there is no doubt in anyone's mind who works for this company that they're not thanked for ignoring or trying to dilute the importance of health and safety in everything we do and the company has invested heavily in health and safety software systems in training both in-house and externally to ensure that the people representing this business and brand 
are fully qualified and accredited to do that work. I think it's people-led as well, so that, you know, everything's people-led. Would we, do you want to get involved in anything that's not right? Well, no, of course we don't. No. It's never, it's ne it's never long-term, that. Uh, do you want to cut corners? Well, no, that's to make quick money. Well, we don't want to make quick money. Do we want to put thing, make things right? Yeah. So I know there's, we'll talk about the cladding later on to put things right, but it's it's important in any walk of life to do the right thing because anything else is short term, isn't it? I don't want to knock on someone's door to tell, no. you know, the, the 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 wife and the kids that the dad's not coming home. Whatever. That's the last thing you want to be doing. Forget the the fines or whatever comes around. That you know you, you don't want to ruin anyone's family because you're trying to make money. That's the wrong thing to do. So it's just doing the right thing at the end of the day. So growth obviously has been fantastic and can yeah. and continue continues yeah. to be so. So what's been the approach to sales? How has that growth come about? You, you, it's it's been it's been fantastic. You know we've got that yeah. classic hockey stick going on. How yeah. has that happened? I, I think initially um, it was all driven and initiated from our own personal reputations in the industry. So I had fifty odd years of contacts. Um, worked for a lot of the major contractors in the UK, dealt with um, architects, uh, structural engineers, mechanical consultants. And so initially, it was quite easy driving the growth through personal contacts, networks, and friends of friends. Um, but of course, that's never enough. That's finite. You only know so many people. You can only get so many personal recommendations. So the reinforcing plank on that was to make sure that whatever we did, we did right. So we instilled the quality into everything we did, the professionalism, the way we promoted the brand and the way we promoted ourselves. And very, very quickly, we found that we'd changed position in the, um, the procurement chain. And instead of just being a reactive contractor waiting for a tender to come in and then doing clarification and value engineering, we've actually manoeuvred the business in a more upstream position so that we're now dealing with um, the professional fee-based consultants covering the whole spectrum of anything to do with cladding. And we're actually getting involved in helping them set the strategy, the quality, the specification, the buildability of what the final scheme will be. So we think that we're continuing the growth on the back of relationships, experience, testimonies from customers that we've done work for, but also our willingness to get involved at a strategic position in the project. Yeah, I think I think the relationships are the big one, isn't it? So people buy off people at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, as long as you've got the technical ability and you can do the job, you know, you build that trust up with somebody and you're going to make that person look good, you're going to get the job done, you're going to get things uh, working for them uh, and fitted out for them. The, the, you know, that's what we do. We do a good job, people trust us and we build relationships with them. And is there a particular success that sort of epitomises the approach or something you can, you can pull out to I'd tell say, us about? I'd say, well... Yeah. A typical success in terms of a job or... Yeah, well, just, just the, well, you know, the part of the growth journey. Well, I mean, there's a couple of jobs that could have fell through the, 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 the railings, fell through the wires, and, 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 and we've picked them up and won them. So they're quite proud of them. Um, I think the, the actual growth rate in itself generally is quite phenomenal. 
and the fact that we're delivering large-scale jobs now. We've delivered large-scale jobs, which is quite phenomenal. Um, and it's good that we've got a great team behind us as well. So it's difficult to pick out any particular great win. You know, employing certain people is a great win because they're helping us to, to run the business. Um, I think these podcasts are going to be a great win yep. to help us to help us uh, get our message out across in the marketing sense. So everything we do is, is, is a small step towards good achievements. Obviously, we've got the award from uh, YM Liverpool as Innovator of the Year 2022. Yeah. So that's a big achievement as well. Um, but we don't stop. We we, we keep looking for new Absolutely. ways to work. We keep. I mean, we only had a, a meeting this morning about how we we change things around and how we do things differently. Um, so we're always trying to do things different. We're always trying to 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 uh, make an impact. But we're always got people at the forefront of that as well. So I suppose the big achievement is going to be how we've gone from zero to where we are now in the space of time we have. Mm-hmm. And how we've got a great pipeline to continue to grow and, and continue to employ people. Absolutely, and I think to probably build on that as well. Um, if you look at our success, as to way the way we're respected now in the industry, and the fact that we're working with some really top-notch clients, and they have the belief and the understanding that we are the people to talk to on cladding remediation. The fact that we don't do new installation of cladding means that we don't have a legacy reputation for incorrect workmanship in the past. On the flip side, you could say a major success is the way we've been accepted by Salford University Mm. in a strategic partnership, relationship. And on that basis, we've sponsored two three-year scholarships for two students on the project management and quantity surveying side. And that relationship is already bearing fruit because a university are now recommending us across the country to other interested clients. Yeah, fantastic. And, and, and I know we want to speak a bit more about uh, kind of training and culture. But before we do, um, don't forget, uh, you can follow us on LinkedIn for as they happen updates throughout the week. Just search for Intelligent FS and click follow or look out for the keywords hashtag cladding remediation, hashtag FRAW and hashtag golden thread working together to make Britain's buildings safe and sustainable. So how do we go about um, recruitment? What does that approach look like? <laughs> that whole recruitment and training piece is... is... I think you asked about challenges before. I think it's probably been the biggest challenge that we've faced. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> doing the job probably isn't as challenging. It's the, the most difficult part of the job is probably people. Um, we, we put, As I say, we put people at the forefront of what we do. But, but to bring the right people in, is, is a difficult process because you've got, you got the fees if it comes from a recruitment agent, you've got then it's a risk because you know you can interview someone, they're going to tell you what you want to hear because they want the job. <laughs> so you could then get three months down the line and then recognise that person isn't for you and that person might recognise you're not for them which is a, is a difficult process. And then that might could last 12 months or whatever it may be <laughs> of, of coming to where you don't want to work and working for something you don't want to work for. Yeah. So the recruitment process is has been, I think, a difficult process. We've got some good people, yourself included, Richard, obviously, and got other people. We've got, I think we've got a great team now, to be honest with you. Um, and we've got to grow on that. But the, the, there's a lot of challenges around people, personality. Because Rob and I, 
it's it's Rob and I's business, and we've got our personality in the business. Definitely. Yeah. So we're quite assertive and and sort of uh, we have a joke, don't we, saying that the grass doesn't grow under our feet. Yeah. You know, as soon as something pops up, we want to act on it. Now some businesses aren't like that; it's a different way of working. But if the, the, suppose you could get somebody in who's really good, and if you don't fit with Rob's and nice personality, I suppose as the business is then they might not fit with the culture, they call it, only it's a yeah, business culture. Yeah. So the biggest concern and challenge is getting somebody in who's technically good or in that in whatever field that is, accountancy, finance, uh, commercial, ops, whatever it may be, HR, IT. But then getting the right person that'll fit with our culture. Yeah. Um, the culture is quick, fast-paced. The culture is quite assertive in terms of we want to get things done. We don't want to hang around. And the cultures as well, we probably sometimes like to have a little bit of a laugh in the office. It's quite sort of relaxed to some extent. You know, the way we manage, Rob and I, is a case of, I mean, the directors are running the business to an extent on a day-to-day basis. And Rob and I are coming from a very strategic viewpoint. But some people don't like that as well. So you could get someone who's really, really good, but they want to be micromanaged. Yeah. So how do you maintain that positive culture? You know, keeping everybody motivated because that that happens. So how does how does it happen? Yeah, I I think that has to come from Adam and I. We're highly visible. We're always available. We encourage ad hoc meetings. Uh, it could be an ad hoc subject to try and keep this engagement, to keep people involved. We very much encourage the staff to move on, to develop their careers. Are they ready for promotion? So I, I think part of the strand of keeping that relationship is communication. And we do that on a regular, regular basis. Every member of staff feels valued. We don't leave anyone out in the cold, whether it's uh, a young student that's come in or whether it's someone who's been in the industry for 40 years. We're not a huge organization. And we don't want to get to the stage of many corporate enterprises where you become a number rather than a name. Adam and I set the gold standard for the culture, the vision and the requirements for the business. And then we make sure that message is spread throughout the business. And that's a constant chore, isn't it? Every day. Yeah, you've, you've got to keep me. Yeah. So people want to know what direction the business is going in. Yeah. yeah. That's, you know, you're going to have job security. Do you, do you want to know that they've got some sort of progress? Because people join us and you say, well, why, why are you leaving your other job? There's no way for them to go. Well, there's progress here. But there's only progress if you're helping us and you're involved with the growth of the business. Yeah. Yet there's an element of work for Rob and I to do in terms of making relationships happen and, and bringing um, potential client customers in. But we're not going to do that ourselves. Um, it's almost like, say, a football team getting into the Champions League when the players moan that they want to play in the Champions League. Well, you're part of the solution to get there. Yeah. So these guys, even though we're motivating them with work coming in, they're part of the solution to help us yeah, win that way. So that's a motivating, motivating fact as well, to yeah. be part of that growth, not just, here's a job, get on with it. Here's a job that you've helped nourish, and it's your job now. So, so that's all resulted now in our focus on cladding remediation um mm. can you take us through explaining the process of cladding remediation and and why that's important so much so that we've focused on it 
Well, cladding remediation is a broad church, Richard. Okay, there's many different materials, there's many different construction details, and each job has to be taken individually on its merits. And I think it's well known now that it was the Grenfell disaster that kick-started, should I say, finally brought to the attention of the institutions that something needed to be done. And I personally am very surprised that we haven't had a repeat of Grenfell elsewhere within the country. And I think that's down to more luck than actual planning or structure of the works that we're doing. We also have to remember that remediation means that you're impinging upon people's lives. You're making their life difficult. They've got scaffolding. They've got mass climbers. They've got the outer fabric of their apartment or home is being removed. Sometimes it needs internal invasive works as well. They know they're going to have a a sheeted scaffold around their building. They're going to feel like prisoners in their own homes. And they've got this careful balance between my life is going to go to pot for the next 12 months while this is being done. However, when I come out the other end, at least I'm going to have a safe, fully compliant building, which I can then either sell or raise a mortgage on to purchase it if they've been renting. So it's a very, very intrusive process. And I think Adam and I will both have the same position here where if we focused more from this point forward on getting the buildings fully compliant during construction stage, then we can wipe out this need to go back into people's homes. This situation is destroying people's lives. You know, they could have been in one of these apartments for 5, 10, 15 years. And now they're being asked to decant and go to somewhere. What about their children? You know, the upset. What about the bills, the costs, furniture? It, the, the impact is immense on their lives. And that's why we've committed. That's where we've come to the cladding. Because we believe our vision and our values suit 100% the commitment to quality, health and safety, and making sure these buildings are safe and sustainable. Absolutely. So given that we're talking to developers, property management companies, what are their primary concerns that they're having to address when it comes to cladding remediation? And then I'm particularly interested in understanding how we address those concerns that they're going to be having, you know, facing on a daily basis. He's let me have the difficult one. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about sharing. I've got no idea what the developers yeah, are thinking. I'm a sharer. <laughs> 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 have to repeat the question. <laughs> so I think there's value in us under in our listeners understanding yeah. what we believe the primary concerns of the, the developers, developers and, 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 the, and the building management companies you know who are well, having to deal with these well anyone's, anyone's prime I don't know what, what the primary concerns of developers are I don't want to sleep with yeah. you but I'll tell you what they should be if I'm dead honest people's safety yeah. they've built a building commissioned a building that's unsafe I mean that's completely not the art of order so their their primary concern should be and must be to get them building safe, um, however way they do it. Now it's not my business on who's paying for it and all. You know I'm not going to comment on that. That's what the, the government are talking about, and that's the, the developers pledge. And you know that's that's nothing to do with us effectively. 
But if the question is, what should a developer who's built an unsafe block of apartments should be focused on? Mm-hmm. They should be focused on saying, right, well, that block of apartments now needs to be safe. Um, now whatever whatever the reasons it's unsafe are, and whatever the 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 background of that building is, if you're managing that building, you've got a duty of care to turn around and say, there's could be a hundred people in that building, fifty people in the building, could be a thousand people in that building. They could be kids. Is that building safe for them mm. people? And if it's not, they need to address it. It's a, you know, you, you couldn't live with yourself if mm. if uh, something happened in that yeah. building. God forbid. That's what they should be thinking anyway. Yeah. I don't and, know what they are thinking. <laughs> and, re- and remember, you can't you can't underestimate the size of this problem because at the moment we've only been touching on high rise. There's the mid rise issues yeah. that are coming out now over the next two, three, four, mm. five years. We're now dealing with um, substantial house building organisations in the UK who are now having to face down these issues. And no, no organisation likes to spend money unless there's an ROI. Well, now they're in a position where they're having to invest with no return. But they've had the ROI. You know, they've had, Initially, they've had, yeah. yeah they've had the ROI, haven't they? They've had the ROI, so, you know... Maybe it should have cost a bit more than what they actually spent on it. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, but that's another subject that we don't want to get <laughs> involved with. Today. This is just how we started the business. Indeed. Yeah, yeah. So we're nearly at the end of this week's show then. So, uh, but before we go, I'm quite keen to know whether uh, you can share any upcoming projects, plans for the future uh, for Intelligence FS moving forward. Um, I don't think we can. I don't think we can say any particular projects, can we? Mm. Uh, because probably. There's going to be some NDAs and things we we're involved yes, with, which we can't absolutely. name projects. We're working on quite a few at the minute, and any marketing that we do with them projects, we need to um, get permission. So we won't name them. Yes. There's some in the Midlands, Manchester, Liverpool that London. are coming off London as well. Um, what I can probably say is in ter- in terms of IFS, we're now going through a, a reshake of our systems, so we're going to be going totally digital. Um, I'm going to make things a lot more streamlined for our IT systems, make things a lot easier for our employees to do work. We want to make sure we've got they've got all the tools to to do the job, not unhinders them. You no, know, they can't find the right paperwork or they can't find the right drawings or have they got the correct drawings? Is the price the correct? So all the questions that tend to get asked when there's a bit of um, disorganisation, maybe. We're putting that to bed. We're upgrading all our systems. We're also upgrading our systems to take account of um, more informed uh, reports in the construction process. So we'll be using a system to for that's approved by insurers to um, take before, after photos, so people can see exactly what the work's been done, where, when what was done and that's it closed and the insurers are really happy with that. So that's in place now. We're also looking to recruit probably four or five new employees yeah. around commercial, yeah. around business development and around um, marketing. Um, so there's, there's big news there. Big news as well in the summer, we're looking at uh, taking on work experience from Salford University for their um, construction degree uh, uh, students which obviously we like to show them some case studies. Um, what else? What else? Big news, Rob. 
I, I think the whole publicity front, social media, yeah, and today is an example of that. And as you well know, Richard, because you are our ESG director, um, you've been charged and challenged with promoting the image of the company on social media. And obviously today is the beginning of that process. Uh, the seminars that we've been holding, yeah. they're yeah. knowledge-based seminars. Yeah. They're not sales-based yeah. seminars. Yeah. And absolutely. we had a, an absolutely fantastic result yeah. at the Etihad Stadium exactly, recently, yeah. which has then prompted the second one in June, which will be at Wolverhampton yeah, Wanderers Ground. Yeah. 14th of June, the anniversary, anniversary of Grenfell. Yeah. And it's a good point you make there, actually, on the, the knowledge-based. We want... We, there's that many buildings that need to get done. Yeah. We're not going to do them all. No. You know what I mean? Let's get it right. There's a, there's a lot of work out there for a lot of good contractors, mm-hmm. for a lot of good consultants. You know, we're not looking to win every single job. No, no, no. What we're trying to do is bring awareness, help bring awareness along with others uh, um, for what's going on um, and, and, and put things right. Mm. You know, it's, to be clear, we weren't doing new cladding ever. No. But we're here now to try and help uh, remediate the cladding issues and I think these seminars are great obviously the 14th of June is the next one in, in Wolverhampton Wanderers club ground um, to, for everybody to get together to see how best practice can be shared in putting things right not for us to, to go and see how we can win work because the seminar we've just done we haven't won any work off it but we've got some good relationships yeah. we've got some good ideas other people have got good ideas of us and it's about working together to put things right for people who are stuck in these these flats. I, I think we said in the presentation of the Etihad, it's collaboration. Yeah. And the construction industry is renowned for being isolated. Everyone sort of does their own little bit in the jigsaw puzzle, but very rare do we come together and share ideas. And I think that's part of the innovative it approach is, yeah. Yeah, that we've is. put together. We're happy to give a few secrets away if that engenders a more positive and rapid solution yeah. to this um, fire remediation sector. Yeah. Any other big news? Um, well, there could be, but I don't think we can mention names, so we're no. going to have to keep our powder dry on that one. I don't maybe we'll do another one. Hey. Yeah, maybe a follow-up. Do you want us on so another one? Yeah, indeed, definitely. We'll have another one. Yeah. There's, there's, a, there's a lot more to drill into. Yeah. <laughs> we try to keep it as minimal as possible. You see, we could have. I mean, the first question we could have been talking, <laughs> still talking now. Absolutely. Yeah. Brilliant. So look, that, that brings us to the end of this week's Cladding Matters podcast. Already. Already. So. <laughs> Thank you, Adam. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Rob, for being the guests on the show today. Thank you. Uh, which was created and produced by Intelligent FS. Next week, we'll be up in the air with Ryan Brooks from Superchance and our very own Adam Prescott, a project manager on one of our active jobs. They'll be exploring the future of building assessments with drone technology for cladding remediation. And if you enjoyed our podcast today and think it would be useful for someone else, do please leave us a rating on podchaser.com. And together, we really can make Britain's buildings safe and sustainable.